right. And we have uh, our message this morning in the book of Genesis. We've been looking at the life of Abram, uh, and we've been looking at uh, a journey of faith. I think all of us probably have identified in some way, shape, or form with uh, Abram. Later, his name changed to Abraham. We're going to talk about that today. And uh, he, he was a man that was a lot like, well, the rest of us, right? All of us, men and women. We, uh, those who are people of faith, you know, you set out and hopefully you're walking that walk of faith. It isn't always a perfect walk, but it is a walk that is toward heaven. And Christ is the one that holds on to us. He is the one that uh, directs our, our steps as well. And he can even take the things where we did something not in faith and still turn that around for his glory. And we've seen that in the life of Abraham. We've seen that also uh, in other accounts in scripture as we've looked through that. And so that's the attempt as we go through this uh, message series. And I think we're on message number 11 today uh, on the life of faith. And today is about a new identity. And I was thinking about that because, you know, sometimes you just want to like, you know, you just want to change your name, right? And just move on, do something like that. Something comes and maybe it's because you did something really bad. I don't know, hopefully not. But uh, that happens. Sometimes people change their names or whatever. Or somebody gets married and maybe a wife takes the name of a husband and changes her name. Uh, maybe she regrets that, wants to give it back. I don't know. But, but uh, people do that. But you carry a lot with a name, don't you? And sometimes people take new identities. Hopefully it's not a stolen identity. That's something that happens in our world today with criminals and whatnot. But we're going to talk about a new identity today uh, that was given, uh, first of all, revealed from God, also revealed to Abram and Sarai, his wife. And it all had to do with this covenant that God affirms and reaffirms time and time again throughout the scriptural account of the life of Abram and his, his family. And we're going to pick it up. We're going to read through, uh, we won't read the whole chapter. We'll try to get down through most of the chapter today. Um, and it deals with this covenant that God had made with Abram. And let's look at chapter 17, starting in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations." Lord, thank you for your word. And as we open it this morning, again, we're reminded you're the one that is able to give us a new identity, not based upon our sinful nature, but Lord, based upon the righteousness of Christ, if we only follow you by, by faith. And we pray, Lord, even today, as we do study your word once more, and Lord, that you would seed it deep in our hearts and our minds, and Lord, help us put action to our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we look at uh, this topic of the new identity, and the first thing we see here in verse 1 is that God actually 
provides himself a new identity or a new name that appears for the very first time in the scriptures and is used many times thereafter. But in chapter 1, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, he's not a young man anymore, right? And the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Now in English, that's how it's translated, Almighty God. In the Hebrew, it's the name for God, El Shaddai, the Almighty God. And it was a new name that God gave to Abram. It wasn't a new name for God. God has always had his identity in our age. He's never had to change his identity, any of that. But it's the first time that man is revealed this name for God. And it's a special name. It means, El Shaddai means a nourisher, a satisfier, a strengthener, someone who is able to satisfy completely or an all-sufficient one. And when God identifies himself to Abram, he's saying, I am the all-sufficient God. I have everything you need and everything you want. The root word that is used for Shaddai comes from the same word in Hebrew, meaning the breast. And it is pictured really of a a mother who nourishes her infant and she cares for that infant right at the breast. And you think about that, the most intimate really connection a mother and a child have is the same kind of connection that God has with his people. He wants us to be someone who is completely dependent upon him. And he reminds Abram of that. Now picture this. Abram is now 99 years old. And we've looked at him in his life from uh, you know, age 60 on up there. As we've kind of looked at these various parts of his life. And it hasn't been a perfect life. Right? There are times, remember, he ran off to Egypt there, chapter 12. And he lied about Sarah being his, not being his wife. And she was his wife. And that almost got him in trouble. And got Pharaoh in trouble. And he ends up almost really losing his completely his testimony in that uh, there are other times he didn't believe God and they came up with a grand plan to raise up a child through the handmaid Sarah, uh, Sarah's handmaid uh, Hagar we talked about that last week and that wasn't God's plan yet God was going to use that and and it shows up again in our text today and all these things that were going on but God reminds him time and time again Abram I'm everything you need even at age 99 and you will have seed in other words someone uh, descendants from you and sarah that will be raised up and they will be like he told them way back in the previous chapters innumerable in multitude and yet here's this 99 year old man his wife at that time 10 years younger than him 89 and they had yet to have a son or a daughter or anything come from from that relationship in that God reminded him of that. Well, God also reminded him of his promise. That's in verse 2. And I will make my covenant between me and you. Now listen, when God says he's made a covenant and he's made it between you, you know, and himself, that's an important thing. Because God always keeps his end of the deal, doesn't he? And by the way, this covenant was an unconditional covenant. It didn't solely depend upon Abraham always being perfect. It depended on God, who is perfect, to be the one to uphold the covenant. And in his grace, he did that. In his mercy, he did that. And it goes on to say, well, back up there, it says, and will multiply you exceedingly. Now, this is a reaffirmation of what God has already told him, that he was going to somehow bring descendants or 
another generation from him, from Abram, and he was going to be able to multiply his seed exceedingly. All of us would like to think we'll leave some legacy behind. And hopefully, in, in the, when you think about it, I think in the heart of most people is that we want to have people that we influence or even people that come out of a relationship that you maybe, you know, my wife and I, we, had, we have four children. And I'll tell you, that has brought us great joy in our hearts over the last, well, now 28 years of marriage. And um, our, our daughter is uh, what, 27 coming up this year. And I, I look at that and I think, wow, Lord, those things go really quickly. We've got two grandchildren, another grandchild on the way. Um, I'm not supposed to say that, probably. No, I don't know. Anyways, but you guys can figure out which child that is. But anyways, uh, I, I don't think that's a top secret thing. But anyways, and we're far enough away, so we're okay. But listen, uh, I, I just look at that and I think, thank you, Lord, that I've had that opportunity. I realize not everybody has that opportunity, and, and that's, that's, that's okay, too. You have an influence on the next generation. For Abram, he's 99 years old, and he's wondering, am I going to ever have anybody that looks back to me and says, oh, remember my father, my grandfather? my Listen, God reminds him, Abram, your descendants are going to be a multitude. I love that promise that God gives. He reminds us of that. It says in verse 3, And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, Now, that falling on his, on his face was a, really a, a means by where Abram identified that he's in the very presence of a holy God, and he himself was not worthy to be in that presence. And yet, he falls on his face, ascribing to him, the Lord, worth. And that picture of prostrating yourself upon the ground is a picture of worship, is what it is. And I would just say that there are many postures of worship, you know, we're called to in Scripture. Study that out sometime, by the way. There's all kinds. There's on your face, right? There are people who uh, prayed towards Jerusalem. There are some lifted up holy hands, right, and commanded to do that. There are many postures of worship. The important part is that your heart and your mind is directed to the Lord. We see that with Abram. Abram, this man who probably commanded lots of respect in his life, realized there was someone that was in charge bigger than him. And he was talking to him. Oh, wow. The revelation of his promise that we see here. And he says, and as for me, that's the Lord. I like that because you know what God says? He says, you know that covenant, Abram, that I've talked to you about? Well, as for me, this is what I'm going to do. Abram, it's up to you to hold up your end of things if you want to trust me and walk with me. But this is what I'm going to do. And God always keeps his covenant. He says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. Many nations. You know, I think of that because we've looked at Abram as the father of a multitude, and not only would he become the father of the Jewish people, right, out of Israel, his Jacob uh, would come out of that line, right, and uh, his grandson, and then there would be the 12 sons of Jacob. His name changed to Israel. And 
I'm always amazed that as I go around the world, the amount of Jewish people that I run into. And sometimes um, you, you find them, you know, there, there aren't a lot of, like, for instance, in northern Maine, a lot of synagogues or things like that, right? And yet I run into Jewish people in northern Maine. I've run into Jewish people in Europe. I've run into Jewish people throughout the United States as I've traveled in South America. And uh, those are the descendants from Abram. How about that? Huh? Blessed people, by the way. And Israel, just the fact that it's on the map in a country today is proof that God upholds his covenant. He says, as for me. But he says here, many nations, many nations. You realize that also we know out of Ishmael, the other son that we just talked about last week, that in this chapter, God was going to, he reaffirms that out of Ishmael would also come a whole bunch of nations or princes. And uh, a, a nation, a great nation would arise out of him. And then there's those that the New Testament says identify with Abram or Abraham by faith. And he is the father of the faithful or people filled with faith. And you know, if you are a person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ today, you've trusted him as your savior. Abraham is your father by faith that way because he really typifies for us a person who trusted the Lord and today he is a father of many nations every I think of all the different ethos ethnicities or ethnicities or whatever ethnos is the Greek word for nations and in Hebrew here same idea that it's national distinctions ethnically uh, along those lines and yet all brought in underneath him I think of that that's the way God is by the way He's an upholder of covenants, and he's an upholder of things that influence the whole world. A lot more could be said on that. We find God is like that, and, and in the New Testament, Peter puts it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he says to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And you know, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have an incorruptible inheritance that is reserved for you in heaven and it's reserved and kept by the power of God. It's not kept by my power. I can't even, I'll tell you what, no matter what I do, it, you know, I, I can paint something and the paint peels off. Uh, it fades away. Uh, you buy something new, you put a dent in it. You know, all those kind of, right? Everything here on this earth begins to corrupt. That's just the natural process of things, right? We corrupt. <laughs> Go a few days without a shower and then ask somebody, how do I smell? You know, that's the way we are. We're always constantly trying to re, you know, clean ourselves and our things and refurbish and all that. And if left to their own devices, they would just go away into dust but not God, and not the people of God who have trusted Him. He goes on to say this, who, because this is about people, are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Oh, if you've trusted the Lord, listen, it doesn't depend, and this verse talks about that, it's kept by the power of God through faith, in the sense that, uh, if you've exercised faith in the Lord, He keeps you. All right, you don't have to keep Him. 
Abram walked with the Lord, but he didn't always walk perfectly, right? There were days that Abram wanted to go this way, to Egypt, for example, right? And God says, no, I'm not going to let you go down there into Egypt very long. I'm going to get you back. And that's the way God is. He keeps you. He's able to save you to the uttermost. Oh, I'm thankful for that. Well, we also know that he further revealed his plan. And look what he does. He gives him a new identity. Not only does God reveal himself as the almighty God, El Shaddai, but he says, Abram, I'm giving you a a new name. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. Now the word Abram, the root of that word, means father. Okay, And Abraham, uh, an expanded word, name, means father of many nations. And it's, it's translated right there in the scripture for us. Think about that. Here's a man who's 99 years old. Everywhere he went, people called him father. Yet he had, really, from Sarah anyways, no children at this point. He had Ishmael. And I think Abram, in the back of his mind, he's still thinking somehow God's going to somehow do something with Ishmael, even though he said something different. Because later on, he asked the Lord to bless Ishmael. And God would bless Ishmael, because he's a gracious God and a merciful God. But you know, he gets a new name. By the way, if you're in Jesus Christ, you have a new name. There's a new name, as we sing in the hymn, new name written down in glory, right? Well, that comes from Scripture as well, that he's given us a new name. That name is identified in him. Christian, you know, just that very term itself, which was given to the, the early church, the, the people who were meeting actually at Antioch in Syria. And it says in the book of Acts, they were first called Christians at Antioch. How about that? The word Christian means Christ-like one. Uh, Do you bear his name right and well? You know, I think of that. Sometimes Christians don't act very Christ-like. Well, don't let it be you. But you know you bear his name. And you're identified by his name. And he's given you a new name. He's called you children. He's called you the adopted sons the legal term as the book of john puts it you've been given every single right afforded as the family of god the people of god by the person of god himself and that's his covenant and the covenant that god would make to save you and me was a covenant written in his own blood covenant he made with abram wasn't such Oh, there was a covenant, remember, we looked at that a couple weeks ago, of having to go between that animal that had been sacrificed, and there was a a death involved in that covenant, but not the death of God. say, how can God die? God in the flesh can die. Jesus came in the flesh, the Son of God, meaning literally God the Son, and he was cut off from the land of the living. He died. His blood was shed. He didn't cease to exist either, by the way. Neither do you at death. But he rose again, victorious over death and sin. And if you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he has the power to save you. And he'll resurrect you too. And he's guaranteed you a place in heaven. But you have to turn from your sin and turn to him. That's what faith is. Trust. We've learned that over and over again as we've looked at this this uh, series of messages. 
faith. Well, God reaffirms this idea of trust in Abram. And by the way, that's, that's exactly, and he changes his name. Your name's going to be now Abraham, meaning father of a multitude, father of many nations. Here's this one that he has yet to have offspring by Sarai, his wife. And God says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Just trust me. And then the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 tells us a definition of faith. I think this is a great, concise definition. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then that whole chapter is dedicated to people of faith and what they did and what God took note of in their lives. And you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for. When you talk about something that is substantive, it means that it actually is something tangible, something that can be tested, something that can be, you know, experienced. And faith is not just this blind leap in the dark. Some people think that way. Well, you got to take that leap of faith, you know. And I understand what they mean. A lot of times meaning if taking a leap that I'm not worth, you know, don't like to trust. But it's not completely like that. And I've used this illustration before, but I often think of it back to the time when I was in the military and I learned to repel. And that's probably, in my mind, the, the connection I look at the most when I think about putting your trust in something. And I remember the, it, we were in our motor pool in Germany. We had these little uh, walls that were about maybe 10 to 12 feet high, and, and they had little iron uh, uh, structure on top of them, kind of little pointy things. You can you know, see those. And my sergeant said, we're going to learn how to repel today. And I thought, oh, okay, that sounds like fun. And he brought us to that wall. It was like, like I said, at the top, about 10 feet high, all right? And he had one of us climb up there and, and hook up a rope and tie it off till we had already known how to tie the knots and everything else and, and put that rope down. And, and then he showed us how to hook up to that rope and stand on the side of that wall, all right? About probably three or four feet off the ground at that point. That was it. And, you know, I thought, wow, there's nothing to that. That's not too bad. And I was thinking about that rope, you know, that rope's holding us and all that. That's, that's pretty good. Then he took us out to the cliffs that were just outside our little town. And there, there was a hundred foot cliff. And matter of fact, the, you couldn't see the very bottom part because there was a sort of little precipice that came out like this of uh, limestone. And you would look down, you'd have to get over the edge to look down to see where you'd land if you went off that cliff. And we tied up two ropes to two different trees on the top of that cliff. And threw those ropes over, put somebody down on the bottom as a belayman, and then we hooked up the same way we did at the motor pool, hanging on that wall. And then he said, now go. And I thought, oh no. What am I doing? Why would I do this? Why would I put myself in such a... a, a, a my mother's going to hate me for this, you know, if she ever found out or whatever. I told her later. It was a good thing. But you know, um, what, what amazes me is that uh, I began to put things through my head. And I thought, you know, one rope held me up. And I knew the tensile strength of that rope was around 6,600, 6,700 pounds. All right? One rope. Yes, and one rope held me, believe it or not. And I had two ropes. All right? I had two ropes. And I knew those two ropes would hold me. I had my hookup, and I had looked at it, and it was correct. And my 
sergeant who was there, he had looked at it. It was correct. The other guys that were there looked at it. It was correct. And I walked out to the edge of that little precipice, and I stood there looking down at that little guy down at the bottom. And I'm thinking, isn't this going to be beautiful when I land on those rocks and go splat, you know? And I had to take that step. But it wasn't a leap in the dark. It was a leap of trust because I had already learned to trust my equipment, my training, my, those things. And you know, after a couple, it was exhilarating, I'll tell you, it's great. And I'll, after that, we did that, and we would go out almost every weekend, and we would repel. And we got to a point where, and I've got it on video if you ever want to see it, uh, we, we would repel what they call Aussie style, you know, which is like you go face first, and you just jump, and you just zip, and then hopefully you pull the rope in fast enough to stop yourself at the bottom. I've made some hard landings before. But uh, all, all that to say, your confidence is built based upon your interaction with, in that case, things, equipment that I trusted. Do they ever fail? Probably. There's stories of that happening. And there's mistakes made and those kind of things. You know, the Lord never fails. And when the Lord says, I want you to trust me, and it, not, it might not be comfortable. It, it may, may make you think, oh, what am I doing here? Leaving my job to go to the mission field? Some of you guys know people that have done that. Or sell a farm <laughs> and go to the mission field or those kind of things. Go off to Bible school. Uh, sometimes just trusting the Lord for salvation. But what are my family going to think? What, what are other people going to think in my life? What are my coworkers going to think if I'm a born-again Christian? Little things. Trust the Lord because he'll never let you down. And faith is the substance of things hoped for. We hope for salvation. And it is substantive. It is kept by the power of God. And it's the evidence of things not seen. If they were things that were seen, it wouldn't be faith. Right? When Abram stood there, or actually on his face before God, and God revealed to him again, I'm going to make you a father of many, many nations, that hadn't been seen yet. And yet in that chapter of Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, you do have God's commentary on the heart of Abraham, and he believed God. And it was that belief in something that he could not see, but yet something that was substantive, that saved him in the sense that God saved him. All right, I better move on here. We see God's revelation, but we also see God's reassurance. He reassured Abram. Yeah, I, I, I so identify with Abraham. Um, the reason I so identify with him is I have to be constantly reminded of the promises of God. I can, and I'll be honest with you, I can preach a message on the, a certain aspect of God's promises and go and I can guarantee you that if I was doing that today on something, tomorrow I will be challenged with it and I'll probably fail. All right? And I don't mean it, that that's my life always a failure, but it's this that, that I sometimes need to be reminded on Monday of what I preached on on Sunday. God has a way of doing that in my life. And I think it's, so he finally gets me out of grade school someday, you know. We walk that walk of faith, and it is a walk that also is an endurance walk and a run, isn't it? And he is. But anyways, he reassures him. Look at verse 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. 
exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. Hey, how many of us wouldn't want to know that someday, you know, uh, one of your descendants is going to, or you influence somebody in your life for the next generation, they're going to be a, a great world leader. You know, God told Abraham, I'm going to have leaders come from you. I'm going to make nations come from you. I'm going to have a multitude come from you. Today's the first day of spring. Aren't you glad? I thought I'd put that up there just so you... Because a couple months from now, Guy's going to be out there looking for dandelions and, 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 and going after them. But you know, I think honestly, if the whole world almost, you know, like apocalyptic as they say, you know, everything kind of, well, the plume went up, whatever, you'd have cockroaches and dandelions left. That's about it, probably. But dandelions will still be there. And they'll still grow. I guarantee you, you go out there and dig in that... Start in that big snowbank. But anyways, get down to the bottom of that big snowbank. You'll probably find dandelions already growing, you know. Because they're there. They're there. Try it. <laughs> Let me know how that works out. Eventually, you'll get to the bottom. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But anyways, it's sort of by faith they're there. I know that. Because they show up. All right? But the dandelion's probably the most exceedingly fruitful plant that's out there. <laughs> okay, there's more. I, I know. I'm amazed at it. And I think of that because God told Abram in a time where, kind of like a proverbial winter, he said, I'm going to make you fruitful. What is that going to look like? Honestly, I think this life that we walk now, as good as it is and all that, it's like this sometimes, right? It's a lot of just, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the, the snow. I'm tired of this barren winter that I'm in. All of that. And God says, yeah, but I, I have spring and it's here and it's, it's there. Someday you'll be alive like you've never experienced. And that's going to be in the presence of God. I think, wow. He promises that? Yeah. God promised him he was going to make him fruitful. He was going to give him children. He was going to give him crowds of people. He was going to give him crowns. <laughs> leaders that would come from him, kings. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Listen, that covenant depended upon the Lord entirely. When he says, between you and me, God was going to uphold that, and he has. As I already said, the very fact that Israel exists today is a testimony to the faithfulness of God. And that is the way God is, isn't he? Lamentations chapter 3. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I love that. Those verses right there. And when it says they are new every morning, it, what it means is it isn't like God resets his mercy every day. It's just as new today as it was yesterday. And tomorrow will be the same thing. And forever in the future. There will never be a time in heaven 
when you're in the presence of God where His mercy isn't new. It's always new. Always new. I'm glad for that. It really depends upon God, doesn't it? I think of the story, a tragic story that some of us who are old enough remember from 1983. October, Sunday morning, October 23, 1983. The Marine Corps barracks at Beirut, Lebanon were bombed. Two truck bombs. And there were 300, um, somewhere around 340, maybe, or 300 something, anyways, people that died there. Mostly U.S. Marines that were killed in that bombing of their barracks. For the next few days, they pulled out survivors of the rubble. And some of those Marines that were terribly wounded were flown out to places like Frankfurt, Germany. And it was then Commander Paul Kelly, of the U.S. Marine Corps commander, went to Frankfurt, Germany, and he was uh, visiting some of the wounded. And he came across a, a young corporal who had been severely wounded, man's name was Jeffrey Nashton. And Corporal Nashton was in his hospital bed. He had tubes coming out from all over his body. He was intubated, could not speak, could not move really or anything like that. He was conscious. And here the commandant, Paul Kelly, comes and walks in. And you could see that Nash tried to move. He tried to do something. Finally, he, with one hand that he still had that worked, he signaled for a notepad and he got a notepad and he wrote two words on the notepad and he left it there Semper Fi and our Marines know what that means what does that mean always faithful can I let you in on a secret that God said Semper Fi way before the Marine Corps did but it's aptly termed isn't it God is always faithful. Always faithful. Don't you ever forget that. And when the Lord reaffirms his covenant with Abram, he says, Semper Fi, always faithful. He probably did not speak Latin, but Hebrew. But the word always faithful comes from the Lord, really. Concern. God is faithful, always faithful. And you know, and I won't belabor this, but the last part of this chapter deals with the specifics of that plan. And by the way, Abraham got a new name. Now his wife also gets a new name. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be the mother of nations, kings of peoples shall be from her. And you know, here is the picture. The name Sarai, and and I looked these name origins up and there's some, you know, topic, uh, discussion, sometimes very, you know, detailed things. But from the best of my understanding, the word Sarai means sort of a, personal name the sar which is means like a royal a princess um it means like my princess okay no, I, I look at that when abram and sarai were married all these years and together every time he called her name he was saying my princess some kind of term of endearment that was very personal 
But then God says, she's no longer going to be called my princess, but a princess. See, all kinds of people now would call her princess, and that's Sarah. And it is that plural form, or uh, not plural form, but uh, it is the form in which others, you know, in a plural sense, can relate to her, not just one-on-one. And, and I look at that and I think, wow, Lord, you are like that. And she was going to be the mother of a multitude, mother of the faithful. Sarah, she gets a new name too. And God says, I'm going to bring a son from her. Oh, that would have been really, really special for sure. And you see that, and it goes on to say this, And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Look at Abram's reaction. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed. Now, some have said, is this unbelief? You know, I think it's not unbelief because God actually tells us he did believe. But rather, the irony sets in on him. Oh, you know, it's like when something really happens and you just it's like you would say oh, that's almost unbelievable but it does it's it's there it's real and all you can do is just laugh at it and you say isn't that like god to do that to take someone who is past childbearing years by decades and bring life from that womb of my wife sarah who would be 90 years old when she conceived and had a son isn't god like that and here Abram falls before the Lord and, and he laughs in that way. And he says, listen, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And he's almost thinking like, I've got one son already. I, I, Lord, surely he'll live for you too. And God says, I'll bless him too. Look, he says, Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. And he shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. God already had a name. God already had a time. And then, you know, he had the people all in place. And that's how he does it. And the last thing, uh, well, verse 22, then he finished talking with him and God went up from Abraham. And the last part of this is this, that God told him, now you have a requirement. The requirement was to be circumcised. And I won't go into the details of that. I think most know what that is. But moms and dads, you can explain that to your children. But it is the cutting off of the foreskin. And it was a sign that God wanted Abram to take this seriously. And he says, I want you, Abram, and those born in your household and your servants, even the strangers who live among you who are part under your authority, to take this sign, all men, all males, to take the sign of circumcision. By the way, later, centuries later, Jesus, born in that same family, would take the sign of circumcision as well. And it was part of the the visible aspect of the covenant that God had made with Abram. 
and, and there's a lot that could be probably gained from learning a little more about that. But I, I would say this, that in just putting this uh, as concise, is that God wanted the most intimate part of a man to be marked in a way that it reminded him all the time that he was God's first. He was God's first. And I, I could go on and preach a whole no, another message on how much that gets us in trouble <laughs> as far as our sexuality, uh, what men do, all those different things. But I just say this, that God wants even our most intimate parts dedicated to him. And he was a constant reminder from generation to generation to generation that every time a man would reveal himself to his wife, that he was a man that was marked by God. And God wanted that kind of relationship, an everlasting covenant for the Jew, to be reminded of that. And my friends, he wants us that way. It was something that would have been very painful, especially for an adult. It would have been something that was private as well. And by the way, the walk of faith isn't always pleasant, is it? It's sometimes, sometimes we have to deal with some things and, we have to, and they're painful. In this case, it was a cutting off of the flesh. And it was a picture of holiness, really, that God wanted men and their families and as leaders of their families to be holy first. And he wanted them to be reminded of that for their whole life. And then that next generation as well. And to do that. And that's exactly how what God told him to do. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. God made it clear. This is why I want you to do this. And you know, as this part, if you're not Jewish and you know you're not under that law, anyways, under requirement today of those things. But I, I often look back at this covenant, which comes up again and again in Scripture. And there were times when later on Israel would fail to keep the law, and they would go generations without practicing things under the law, like the Passover, a reminder of what how God delivered them from Egypt or circumcision, or those kind of things. And in the process of those, guess what? It was a sign they were straying from the covenant God. God says, Abram, I just have this requirement that you keep this between me and you, and I want you to do this. And everybody that's under your authority to do this. And it was a sign, again, that he was willing to follow the Lord. Let's be honest. Uh, It doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the sense of, of saying to somebody... Um, by the way, this is what I want you to do and do something terribly uncomfortable and every man here cringes even to think about what would take place at Abraham's age and all of those things. And yet God says, this is what I want you to do. Trust me. And Abram does. And the rest of the chapter deals with that, just the historical record that Abram and those underneath him, including Ishmael and others in his household, his servants, they went, these men were circumcised and the children thereafter. Again, showing a covenant that had been made, a very special covenant. And they come to the New Testament, the Lord says, it's not the circumcision of the flesh that matters, it's the circumcision of the heart. 
Because he wants the fleshly nature of our hearts to be dealt with. That's really what that pictures for us in this Old Testament ritual. That he wants the real you. He wants the inner you. He wants you who are privately before the Lord. He wants you just as much as your public part. That's the way he wants it. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word. And I am thankful for the covenant you established with Abraham and the name you changed. Today we can look back and call him our father in the sense that he was an emblem of faith and has pointed us to a greater heavenly father who is the Lord. We thank you for that. We pray today we would dedicate ourselves to serve you in holiness, that even our most intimate parts would be dedicated to you, Lord, and to your service. And the Lord, this covenant that you established with Abraham that has blessed the whole earth would be something that, Lord, we who know you can go out and tell about the greatest who came out of that family, the name, of course, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, born of the stock of Israel, out of the very loins of Abraham. And thank you, O Lord, that you put yourself under these same commandments and you walk these same trails and the sinful world the heartache that would have been experienced in your life oh lord and then in your prime you were cut off for us cut off for our sin and the sin of the world oh lord i pray many today would come to saving knowledge of christ they would turn from their sin and follow him by faith and we thank you for the substance of that faith and the hope of the things, Lord, that we don't see now, but that we will experience soon. In Jesus' name, amen.